0: a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different.
1: When Kermit the front, sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change.
0: If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and this is the frontrunner in the green podcast space where each week we take a closer look at the many stories creating headlines around the environmental agenda. The man with his fingers pointing firmly at our politicians, often with a grumpy look on his face as a result, is the entrepreneur Dale Vince. Dale, morning
1: yeah morning in I think that's two fingers actually if you I was gonna to say them. yes
0: yes the gesticulation um, <laughs> needs to be perfectly and correctly established here well, I mean you have given politicians a bit of a hard time o- over the years and of course you rightly so because I mean that's it it's not only in your blood but it's it's everything that you're about really in terms of, and this podcast reflects that
1: I'd say only the ones that deserve it, actually, Ian, you know. I mean, they're not all bad. They all get tarred with the same brush frequently, but I don't think that's fair. But, you know, the last few years we've had terrible Tory administrations who've been banning onshore wind and slapping carbon tax on green energy, approving coal mines. I mean, Jesus, you know, there's so much to, to shoot at. No wonder some of them have been getting a hard time.
0: It's funny, isn't it, that at one point there was a brief moment in time I don't think it'll ever be repeated when you nearly became best buddies with David Cameron.
1: (laughs) I think that's overstating it a little. And
0: if this was a sitcom, Dale, it would now cut to a scene of you and Dave on a beach drinking pina coladas from a coconut (laughs) shell.
1: (laughs) And uh, whereas in fact, we were stood by a windmill next to the M4 (laughs) at Reading. And although we were in conversation, I felt like he wasn't really focused on me because he kept up this pose for TV and for, for photographs throughout the whole conversation. He kept looking and, and kind of posing as if he was on film. He just didn't have normal facial expressions. And, uh, and he told me, and I think he believed it, that uh, windmills are unpopular, that was the problem. And it's like, whoa, you know, read government's own opinion polls because they'll tell you the exact opposite. And those opinion polls have been running for 25 years now and they always say the same thing. But, you know, that didn't matter because he's in politics and in, in politics you make your own reality to a degree.
0: I, I find that one of the most curious arguments that I hear from from some politicians. that, I mean, how bad has life got to be if you're offended by a windmill? I mean, what's gone wrong in your journey that you are pissed off at the sight of a windmill or some windmills. In fact, I, I've always argued, I think aesthetically, I think they're rather beautiful.
1: Yeah, and, and I think most people are in that camp. And, you know, if there's anything good coming out of the pandemic, and I think there are some good things, then I think it, – it, to a degree, it's a bit of a reset of people's priorities. So I think, you know, there'll be even less people saying, God, what are we having those wonderful clean energy generating machines around the environment for, uh, you know, and, and more people just, I don't know, getting on with life. Um, but, but like, anyway, it was always a tiny minority of people and they get way more airtime than they ever deserved. So yeah, let's, let's stop there.
0: Um, let's move to this story. I thought this was fascinating. We should be as concerned about what we're wearing as well as what we are eating.
1: So I read that headline just now and thought, all right, this is about veganism, it's about leather, but it isn't, it's about fashion. It's about uh, the slave trade that's still involved. I think one in five of all cotton garments have got links to the slave trade, apparently, or modern slavery. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, you know, somebody somebody in the article said cotton is the new chicken. Actually, if you're concerned about the environmental impact of your lifestyle, think of as cotton as the new chicken, uh, which is right. interesting. So uh, maybe somebody should tell Colonel Sanders that, and he can give it a go.
0: Yeah. And he, he also wore a lot of cotton as well, didn't he? So he was like Did he? Oh, public yeah. enemy number one. Loved it, apparently, yeah. Um, here's a good question. Well, I say good question. It's, it's actually um, someone's not happy with you. It's Robert on Twitter. who says, unbelievable, you're back with claims that a stadium and an industrial park can be better for the environment than green fields lies, says Robert <laughs> on Twitter. He capitalises the
1: lies
0: as well. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. emphasising that to reflect his mood. In case we missed it. Yeah. Yeah. So but what's look, going on? Uh, he's
1: right though, isn't he? How can a shopping centre be better than a field? Uh, well, I wouldn't say that it is. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what we're proposing. True. <laughs> so look, it's counterintuitive. People see a green field, it's actually being farmed uh, and they think It's a wildlife haven. It's a picture of nature in action. But it isn't. It's a picture of nature decimated. Green fields that are being farmed, that are being grazed. They're wildlife deserts. Yes, sod all going on there, right? I mean, that's the point. And this point is made perfectly by Eco Park, which is what he's referring to. A 100-acre site by Junction 13 that just hit the news again this morning and got me out of bed a bit earlier than normal. Uh, where we're planning a new football stadium for forest green rovers made entirely out of wood, designed by Zaha Hadid's practice, the lowest carbon footprint stadium built anywhere in the world since the Romans invented concrete, which I find to be a fun fact. Uh, A 4,000-job green tech business park, some sheltered housing for old people, a new wetland area, a canal, several kilometers of hedgerows, a few thousand trees. And in combination, the biodiversity increase on that 100-acre site will be 12% above where it is today. And that's counterintuitive, but we can build all of those things. We can build places to work and places to live and places to watch sport. And we can do it in a way that increases the space we give to nature. And that's across or above a farming background.
0: That's a very good point. I mean, it's an unarguable point as well, isn't it? It's not just about building. It's how you build what you build yeah, that, and uh, what yeah. else you accommodate while you build.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's my big message today and all the press that I'm doing. It's not if we build, because people need somewhere to live, people need somewhere to work. It's how we build.
0: Yeah. Will you have a bug zoo?
1: <laughs> we won't need a bug zoo. The whole place will be a wildlife uh, haven. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's just a different approach. We're really got to push the boundaries of sustainable development with this project. I, I've
0: spent hours at various places peering through those hollowed out bamboo sticks looking. <laughs> okay. It's like, where are they? Claims to be a bug zoo. I can't, I've never seen one in those places. I'm sure they exist somewhere. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. This cropped up on our radio show this week. The EU says we should resist labelling nuclear and gas as green. I know this is an area you've talked about before as well, but yeah. it is very much there are countries that are obsessed with nuclear and they claim that is green, a green variant or a green way of doing energy.
1: Yeah, so I saw that headline and I thought, wow, I am sure that only a week ago I read the opposite. And so I read the article and yeah, indeed that is the case. So it's not the EU saying this today, that we shouldn't label gas and nuclear green. It's a group that are responding to an EU proposal late last year. So the EU proposed under some regulations known as taxonomy regulations, that we should call gas and nuclear green, provided there's a carbon limit on gas. It can be consented up until, I don't know, 2040 or something, 2035. And provided we can safely deal with nuclear waste, then it should be allowed to be consented up until 2045 and called green as well, which is sheer madness. And this group of banks, corporations, non-government advisors, and people like that have responded to that consultation and said to the EU, basically, this is crazy. Those kinds of technology can never be green. Never. And hopefully, it means the EU will change direction on this because- What they pointed out to the EU in this consultation response is that the EU are prioritizing business over environment outcome. Yes, we need a transition and gas can play a role in that transition, but don't call it green.
0: Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's the it's under the greenwashing um, area, do you think? Is, is it firmly <laughs> yeah, under that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, by kind of regulation, it's institutional greenwashing, if you like, because if this regulation of the EU goes yeah, through, yeah. then, you know, it will be by law that is actually allowed to call itself green. And I think already Luxembourg and Austria have said if the EU goes ahead, they're going to sue them. Love it.
0: There it is. Here's a question from Connie. Uh, Any more updates on your project to provide geothermal power in the UK? Talking of power.
1: Yeah, no. (laughs) Actually, short answer is no. I've heard nothing new. I'm going to get down to the site hopefully in a few weeks' time and see what's happening. You know, I love the concept of geothermal. For anybody listening that's not familiar, it's a way to make renewable energy from heat deep underground. Uh, It's uh, constantly available. So 24-7, it's the kind of base load that fossil fuel heads fetishize over is permanently on, uh, more permanently than any kind of fossil fuel power station, by the way. And um, the amazing byproduct from these Cornish uh, geothermal projects is lithium. The water that comes up from deep underground is rich in lithium, so we can harvest that and use that as part of the transition in transport, the electrification of cars, buses, trains and planes.
0: Uh, Here's a story about your friend, your sparring partner. You're good, but forget David Cameron being joined at the hip with Dale Vince. Elon Musk is up there as well, isn't he? (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah, this is a great story. What was the headline again? The headline is Elon Musk is polluting space. Uh, Yeah. So this massive rocket has been careering around in an eccentric orbit around the Earth and the moon for about seven years or something. And I, I read that.
0: So he let the rocket off seven years ago, and it's just floated around doing
1: It's It's been on some crazy kind of trajectory, and I read that, and I thought, you know what? This is a metaphor for Elon Musk's ego. Absolutely right. Massive, out of control, about to smash into the moon. And anybody that has seen the the film Don't Look Up will kind of recognize people like Elon Musk in the tech character that uh, assures... The U.S. president—that he's yeah. capable of saving the world, he can stop the asteroid—and he fucks it all up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can see that in people like Musk, Branson, Bezos. You know, Bezos, yeah. you know what I mean, I mean, these people have more power than entire countries, and you know, virtually unregulated. I mean, you know, all this space junk that's being sent up by all kinds of big egos is, is, is unregulated.
0: I I would have thought he'd be the kind of guy that would have put a sort of um, a metal template of his own face on the side of the rocket so that when it hit the moon, it actually created a crater (laughs) of him.
1: I love it. He might do that now that you put it out
0: Astronomers looking on, I can see some craters and who is this face? He wants to be the man on the moon. Or in the moon. <laughs>
1: yeah, moment. I love it. I love it. He did stick a car on the end of one of his rockets, didn't he? One of his cars and shot yeah. that out. Into Isn't like that still floating around with two
0: kind of mannequins in it or
1: something? Uh, madness.
0: That is, Yeah, and, and who knows what the uh, the footprint is of letting one of those things off.
1: Yeah, and it's not just polluting space with this junk. Of course, you know, he's polluting the earth with the, uh, the rockets that, uh, you know, burn God knows how many tons of fuel just to get into orbit or out, or yeah. out of orbit, in, in this case almost.
0: Sarah Jane on Facebook says, why do you reckon the government have done nothing so far about energy prices? Huge area of contention. We did a phone-in on this just a few days ago on this very point. I mean, people saying, look, my, you know, my energy bill's, used to be 80 quid a month They're now 400 quid a month it go <laughs> up more than that you know some re- i mean these are increases that don't just hit those on the lower financial rungs of the ladder but this is far wider this is really claiming some scalps all over the place now
1: well yeah i mean look half the energy market in terms of participants have gone bankrupt forced out of business by the government who've yep. suppressed retail prices while wholesale prices have gone crazy 4 million customers have been stranded. That's costing us £4 billion, and the government may dump that back onto energy bills. The same government already takes £9 billion a year from our energy bills, £300 per household. And the same government laments the high price of energy and says it's doing everything it can about it, but it's actually doing nothing. And I think it's because there are no easy or cheap answers to this. It's a genuine problem of global proportions. Energy prices have just gone through the roof. And- What they've done with the price cap is just delay the impact of that on on people, on consumers. I hate the word, but but that's what it is. So 1st of April, we'll see a £700 rise to about £2,000 for a typical price cap bill which is, uh, you know, about 70% or something like that. You know, it's mad. I mean, even last week, the government was saying, no, we don't know what's going to happen. The calculations haven't been made, blah, blah, just another lie. From what the should government.
0: they do, though Could they just could whip the VAT off? I mean, lots of people saying, yeah. well, there's a, a
1: green component in there as well. Some people want yeah. that removed. Yeah, look, it's, so it's like this. Uh, VAT shouldn't be on energy because it's... One of the one of life's essentials. It's not yep. on food. Why do we have it on energy? We could take that off, but it would scratch the surface. That's about three billion of the nine billion government tax. The other six billion uh, is comprised of five different stealth taxes that support social and environment programs. So they get labelled green by climate skeptics, but they're actually a combination of measures for to address fuel poverty as well as environment action. Uh, The government could take that away as well. They could take the whole nine billion away and they could half the price rise from April. But that would create a nine billion hole. They'd have to fill it some other way. So I don't think they're going to do it. They could have a windfall tax. So the North Sea operators who supply nearly 50% of our gas still, it's our North Sea as well. Sure. They've made 20 billion pounds this winter more than they need to or expected to. Because they've benefited from crazy wholesale prices, which government right. haven't controlled. So they can have a windfall tax. But they said, no, we can't do that. The North Sea operators are struggling. It's like, in, on which planet are these guys struggling?
0: That's extraordinary.
1: The, the next option, which we came up with this week, is to simply redistribute the tax burden on energy bills. So at the moment, it's regressive. It's a simple, flat tax for everybody that, that uses energy. Mm. Um, so what we're suggesting is use income tax as a model. And when it comes to income tax, your first £12,000 of earnings is tax-free. We're saying make, for example, the first 3,000 units of electricity consumption tax-free and yeah. push that £9 billion of tax further up the consumption and the income scale to where it can be better afforded. And that might be the best answer because it's practical, uh, it's quick, it's simple, it's logical, it's fair. It matches the income tax system, which is progressive, not regressive. Um, so it's not going to happen, is it?
0: There you go. Applying logic again to government decisions, Dale. How dare you? (laughs) Uh, Here's one from Jay who says, went to my first Forest Green Rovers game last weekend. I know you've got an anti-gambling stance. So why do you have Skybet logos behind your goals and on
1: ad boards? Yeah, simple answer. Skybet is the sponsor of the EFL, and EFL regulations require all clubs to carry those boards in those locations. So it's not like a choice that we've made
0: quick story here, carbon offsetting is accelerating collapse. That doesn't sound like a very positive headline.
1: (laughs) No, no, this is a story by George Monbiot, whose stuff I hesitate to read these days, since he said on social media, I was crazy for uh, wanting to uh, implement a green gas plan instead of heat pumps. But I got over that and read the article. And what he's saying here has been true for a very long time, I would say, since carbon offsetting was invented it was clear that it would be used by people to continue living as they normally live and salving their conscience with a carbon offset and the point he's yeah. making is we can't do that we've got to reduce carbon emissions and only use offsetting for the irreducible part of that uh, so you know quite straightforward and and right i bumped into an amazing statistic when i was at cop 26 and the numbers escaped me but um Somebody had calculated the loss of all biomass on the Earth's surface, trees and, and, and what, you know, what have you. And the amount of carbon that uh, was contained in that um, loss of habitat is equivalent to the excess carbon we have in the atmosphere. That, that might actually sound a bit bloody obvious. You'd think, well, where did all this carbon come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the point made is if, if we simply rewild the planet, True. then we can take care of all of that excess carbon in the atmosphere. And that comes back to the point of diet and, and what we eat because we've driven the loss of habitat and wildlife by intensive farming. Um, and, you know, we've left very little land uh, for, for trees, bushes, animals, and all that kind of stuff. And yep. um, and now I'm waffling, but... It's
0: all right. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And here's a final question from Wolfgang, who's emailed. Uh, Do you have an international fan club for Forest Green Rovers? Uh, I'm in Austria and want to join one. Uh, we've oh, got start about, one,
1: Wolfgang. That's what yeah, start, one, start, start one. Start one, man. Wolfgang. Yeah, no, uh, nice idea. Look, I, I had a quick check with, with our chief exec while we were on the line here, and I got an email back just now saying no. And we've got like <laughs> hundred international fan clubs in twenty countries, but we don't have one in Austria. So you're right, Ian. Wolfgang, please start one. Start. one.
0: And a final point, uh, Just we we already covered the, uh, the eco-park development. It's been covered in the news this week a lot as well. What's the ETA here? Give us a date. When can I walk into the eco-park and either go that way for one thing and that way for a football match? What's the deal?
1: <laughs> I've, I've been in the habit uh, up until recently of saying that eco-park is moving at the speed of an ice age. And, and I think I'm going to have to stop saying that now because we've just – unveiled plans for the whole complex uh, again in line with the local plan i mentioned earlier and you know we may be holding outline one consent for that in about 12 months time so i think we might be a couple of years away from starting work starting building the stadium itself will take two years to build so we still might be four years away from playing there obviously we're on the verge of promotion at the moment there's still half a season to go so we'll see what happens but we could be in league one uh, soon we'll definitely be in League One before yep. we've built the stadium. Of that, I'm certain. Hopefully, we'll be knocking on the door of the Championship. But absolutely, you know, you know if I was if I was guessing, I was going to say I'm not going to say if I was a gambling man because obviously I can't say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say yeah, about four years.
0: Done deal. Fantastic, uh, Dale. We'll speak next week nice one have a good week that's it for this episode don't forget of course to follow this podcast from your podcast provider this way you get each new episode automatically you don't have to do anything it just arrives and drifts into your box leave a review there too and if you want to get in touch you can email your comments zero carbonista at ecotristy.co.uk and follow dale on social media twitter.com slash dale vince facebook.com slash dale vince
1: there carbon east off